Welcome to this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Today we are talking with author and speaker Jason Everett about the hugely controversial subject of gender. We've seen parents forced to allow the so-called gender transitioning of their children, drag queen story hours for children exploding all over. You'll want to stay tuned. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jason Everett, it's good to be with you again. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. We are dealing with an issue today that has, in the last few months, gone absolutely crazy. In the last few weeks, even, we've seen parents accused of transphobia over concerns about ultra-sexual drag queen readings to their four-year-olds. We've seen public schools across America reading kids' transgender propaganda. We've seen female sports in an uproar, as men claiming to be female are allowed to complete, and thus female athletes are being denied their victories, their scholarships, their recognition is being stolen by men claiming to be women in running, swimming, cycling, boxing, wrestling, and many more sports. Finally, in the absolutely horrific cases, both in Canada and the United States, where parents are being forced to allow so-called transition of their minor children. In Canada, we had the case of Ron Hoogland, who was unable to stop his 12-year-old daughter, encouraged by her school, to uh, from being given hormone treatment, which will permanently affect her, making her unable to ever have children. In the U.S., we have the Jeffrey Younger case, who was unable to stop his ex-wife from giving his seven-year-old son puberty blockers, uh, and one court even ordered him to affirm his son as a girl uh, by calling him and call him, calling him by a female name. Unbelievable stuff that we're dealing with here. Jason, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, it almost seems like, you know, just in the last 10 years, this has reached a pace that's hard to believe. A friend of mine said, he said, he said, I feel like the devil is making a run for it. Uh, you know, just so much confusion. I know a young lady that was going to Stanford University and she showed me her cell phone and she said, look, I'm going to Stanford yet next year and I have to pick my gender to get into Stanford. And she started scrolling through the list of genders and there were 18 to pick from and male and female were not even options on the list. Facebook offers oh its God. users. Uh, Facebook, you're going to pick 58 genders. Facebook in the UK is over 71. Tumblr, which is a big website for the teens nowadays, offers a litany of more than 500 genders to select from. And I think what's going on here is what Vatican II said, that when God is forgotten, the creature itself grows unintelligible. So essentially, when we lose sight of divine and supernatural realities, we will lose sight even of natural reality. Now, Jason, you've written a book on this subject. What's the book called? Where can they find it? And uh, what's it about? Uh, I wrote a book called Theology of the Body in One Hour, and then a CD called Theology of Your Body. And the idea there is that the world is really telling people that, uh, you know, your body is really meaningless. I mean, the body is not an indication of reality. Your feelings or reality. And so even though your body might be declaring male or female, that's not a reliable source. You want to judge what you feel that you are. And in contrast, this idea that our bodies are meaningless, St. John Paul II has given us this teaching of the theology of the body, 
which proclaims that the body is meaningful, that our gender is not something to be decided or discovered or declared. You know, our gender is a gift to be received from the Father, and it's full of meaning. And, you know, obviously people who experience gender dysphoria, they deserve our respect, our compassion, and our love. But in my opinion, that if you love someone, you can't lie to them. And it is not love to allow someone to believe a delusion. This isn't love. It's simply false compassion. And so we have to have the courage to point out that the things that you were mentioning at the top of the show about these dads being forced to allow their seven-year-old kids to transition, I mean, let's just be clear. This is child abuse. That's what's going on right here. This is simply child abuse. And yeah, you know what? Your kid, your teenager, your coworker might resent you right now for not going along with the transgender ideology. But I firmly believe that if you do not speak the truth to them in love, then they will resent you much more later on for having gone along with this delusion instead of speaking the truth to them in love. So what are the harms to young people or people in general uh, from being transitioned? At LifeSite, we've actually covered many stories of the regret and hardship of men and women and what they have to endure uh, going through all of these very damaging practices. There are surgeries with that basically castrate men and remove the breasts of women. Just horrible stuff. What can you tell us? Yeah, I was just speaking to one of them a few weeks ago. I'm sure you're familiar with him, Walt Heyer. Uh, this guy runs a website called Sex Change Regret. And he's uh, just one among many people who call themselves detransitioners. You can find their, their interviews or videos all over YouTube where they are proclaiming like, hey, people, if you're experiencing gender dysphoria and you're being told that if you just go through this, you know, hormone therapy and cross sex hormones and all this stuff that, you know, these hormone puberty blockers, that this is going to be the answer and your problem is going to go away. Look, trust me, I went through the whole thing. These women who had these radical double mastectomies and these guys who went through chemical castration and physical castration and thought that that would be the solution to the problem. Now they're speaking out and saying, not only did this not solve the problem, this only created more problems. And so I would recommend to anyone who's sitting there thinking that this gender theory is some harmless ideology that helps people discover their true identity, go watch some of the testimonies of these detransitioners. This is not the answer to the problem. In fact, you know, these people are very outspoken that, look, when you go through this gender reassignment surgery, the suicide rate of individuals after the surgery is 19 times higher than the general population. And people will say, well, that's just because we live in a transphobic society that's failing to accept and you know respect and welcome these people. Well, that study of the 19 times is higher. Uh, this was done in Sweden. Here's the study right here if you wanna look it up. It's called Long-Term Follow-Up of Transsexual Persons Undergoing Sex Reassignment Surgery Cohort, cohort Study Where? In Sweden one of the most sexually progressive cultures that's welcoming of this gender ideology. And it's the people there that admit after going through this transition, their problems did not dissipate because more often than not, gender dysphoria is one point in a constellation of often mental health issues and life problems these individuals struggle with. It might be in addition to autism, anxiety, depression, divorce, abuse, all kinds of stuff. And it's almost like if a person struggles with this, you know, um, an eating, you know, disorder, like anorexia, they might think, you know what, I've got so much going wrong in my life right now, but if I can just control my body, if I can just control my diet, 
at least I feel like I have control of some part of my life. And often with the whole transgender issue, they feel like if I can just control, you know, my, my gender identity or expression, life is going to be a lot better. And then they go through the hormones and the surgery and these deeper issues still remain. What these individuals need is not for someone just to condone their behavior, but to someone to accompany them in love. And that's what the church is inviting people to do for these individuals. So this issue is seemingly so toxic that people are, if they tweet or suggest anything in their in their jobs about this topic, they can lose their jobs. Um, it, things have become so extreme that violent criminals who are men, even sexually violent criminals, are then able to say they're women and, and get allowed into women's prisons. We seem to have completely lost the our minds in all of this. Um, two questions for you. A, where do you see this going? And B, how are we supposed to interact today? You know, in, in our in our spheres at work, at, at, in, in social media, if we engage that way, um, what would you suggest we do? Yeah, I think, I think the first thing is we need to read up on this ourselves, because some people approach it with that black and white, look, this isn't that complicated. You're either an XX or an XY chromosome, and that's it. Well, that's biologically ignorant, you know, because some people have XXY chromosomes. You know, some women have Y chromosomes and they're fully female. Well, well, how can this be? Well, we need to read up on some of this stuff because in order, the biological markers of sex are not simply chromosomal because there are disorders of sexual development that can occur, whether it's people who experience things like Turner syndrome, Kleinfelter's, um, complete androgen insufficiency syndrome. And some of those things will allow a woman chromosomally to appear as a man but because she's not able, um, her body does not develop as a male, even though she has uh, certain chromosomes, she remains fully biologically a female. And so we need to read up on this stuff because oftentimes people within the gender theory camp will try to use these disorders of sexual development as biological evidence that sex is not binary, that it's somehow a spectrum. But people who do experience these, these disorders of sexual development tend to be very resentful when they're used as pawns for gender theory, as if their disorder constitute a third, fourth, or fifth sex. And so we need to read up on this stuff. So that way, we're not trying to pretend like this is simpler than it is. This is a difficult issue, and we need to approach these people first with lots of compassion and respect and love. It's not a matter of like, look, you're male or female, if you don't like it, well, you're wrong. And you know, you know, you can believe your own opinion and be wrong. Like, that's just, it's just going to put these people off. We need to take an interest in their entire life, not simply their gender dysphoria. We need to, if they're in our life, to go shopping with them, to be praying with them, to spend time with them, go to the movies with them. Don't treat them like their entire life is gender dysphoria. That's like if you had a friend who experienced same-sex attractions and every time you got around them, that's all you talked about. Well, they wouldn't be want to be around you very long. We need to realize that people are more than their attractions or you know their, their, their difficulties. And so we need to make sure that these people first realize that they're loved by us because the world has already told them, look, people are either going to endorse and accept what you believe on gender theory or they hate you and they're bigoted, transphobic, ignorant people. And so those are the only two people that exist. And so it's basically the either you're going to affirm me or you're going to abandon me. And the church would step in and say, this is a false dichotomy. 
I'm not going to affirm you, nor will I abandon you. I will accompany you in the truth and love that your body is you. That if I were to hit you and you said, why did you hit me? I couldn't say, well, I didn't hit you. I just hit your body because we are our bodies. Our, our bodies are not something we have like a pair of jeans. You know, our body is who we are and it reveals who we are. And so your masculinity and your femininity, your manhood, womanhood is not determined by how manly you feel or how feminine you feel. Because look, there's a lot of problems with gender stereotypes today that you're not a real man unless you're into drinking beer and shooting deer and watching NASCAR. Well, look, I'm not. Like, I don't shoot deer. I mean, I threw a rock at a bird when I was a kid and I still feel bad about that. Like, I'm not a hunter. You know, I don't enjoy watching NASCAR. Honestly, I don't even like the taste of beer. I like wine, but I'm not into beer. And so I don't fit the perfect culture stereotypes of manhood and masculinity, but that's okay. Because I know I'm a man, not because I feel so manly, I know that I'm a man because I have a body of the man. And so that's what reveals to me my identity and also my calling to live in that image and likeness of, of Christ. And so we need to make sure that we, we love these people, we're able to speak the truth to them in a competent way. If there's any resource, I would recommend to our listeners, our viewers, it would be a book um, by uh, Anderson, Ryan Anderson. It's called When Harry Became Sally. And this book tackles the topic of gender theory from sociology, public policy, medicine, psychology, interpersonal relations. And it's very sound evidence, very thoroughly researched, not from a religious perspective, but he represents a very convincing and bold case that accompanying these people along this path of gender theory that, oh, it's okay if you want to do that, I accept it. This is not what's doing what's best for these individuals in the short or the long term. And he provides bulletproof evidence that this is not helping people to you know, affirm their real identity. If anything, we're simply giving them permission to reject their identity. So, Jason, these are very hard issues, and they've been hard not only to deal with by governments and, and, and schools and business and so on. It's also difficult inside the church. A lot of um, clergy are reticent to go there. Um, how many times have you heard a homily uh, talking about homosexuality or transgender issues from the pulpit anyway? Uh, I don't know if I ever have. I mean, I honestly do not know if I have ever heard a homily boldly speaking into this topic. And I don't think it's simply a matter of, oh, well, there's there's young kids in the audience, and so you know we don't want to bring up too many tough questions. Well, you know I believe there's ways to address this that are age appropriate, that you could shoot over the heads of the kids and land into the heart of the adults. But you know unfortunately, for whatever reason, I don't know, you know, priests just aren't touching this from the pulpit. And as a result, where are lay people going to be formed on this subject? You know, where are they going to hear sound guidance that you can speak the truth and love and not be a hateful human being? You know, we need to be shown how to preach the truth and love. And unfortunately, we're not seeing a lot of that. Yeah, and besides which, it's being taught in all the public schools to real minors. Uh, parents were objecting to their four-year-olds at the public library being read to by a drag queen. Um, and, and this is all, all going on for the little kids. So if anything, uh, our, our you know pastors really need to come out and give the truth, even to the little ones, maybe in simple ways, but, but definitely arm the parents so that they can go forward with the truth. So this has been so difficult in the church because while you mentioned Pope Francis has talked about ideological co uh, colonization in this context, 
He's also done some very strange things, which which uh, really give people question about where he in fact stands on the issue. He was asked on a plane if uh, you know he had dealt with how to be pastorally concerned or pastorally care for uh, transgender couples. And he mentioned, oh, well, he had invited a transgender couple to the Vatican. And they came to the Vatican. There's a photo of it available there. And in fact, weirdly enough, he ends the 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 uh, pronoun war, as, as we sometimes call it. The You know, people want to be called by their so-called preferred gender rather than just naming them what they are, male or female. And yet, the Pope himself names uh, this this woman a man. She said, he said, and I'll quote it for you: "She who was he, but is now her." Um, and so he does this. He also called the couple married and happy. So very strange things. But at the same time, he's said a number of times about ideological colonization and how this is wrong. So. What kind of direction would you like to see coming from our spiritual leaders? Uh, one that's consistent, I think, would be great. I mean, the, the Holy Father has said some, you know, fantastic things about gender ideology that I think that are spot on. I mean, in his, you know, when in Laudato Si', when he's speaking on the environment, he speaks about a human ecology, meaning, you know, we have to accept the environment of the world as it is and appreciate and accept that and protect it. And he said, we have to do the same thing with the human body, whether you're male or female, that's a gift from God and we need to embrace and accept that. Okay, you know, great, you know, that, that's spot on. A couple other quotes from him that I thought were great. He, he's speaking about when we become overly rigid in terms of gender stereotypes. He said, such rigidity in turn can hinder the development of an individual's abilities the point of leading him or her to think, for example, that it's not really masculine to cultivate art or dance, not really feminine to exercise leadership. I really liked when he said this because he's pointing out the problem is not your gender. The problem is on these unfair gender stereotypes. And he goes on, and this I think we're nailed it. He said, I asked myself if the so-called gender theory is not at the same time an expression of frustration and resignation that seeks to cancel out sexual difference because it no longer knows how to deal with it. Yes, we risk taking a step backwards. The removal of difference, in fact, creates a problem and not a solution. And so when the Holy Father speaks in this manner, I mean, he's spot on. And it's like, okay, this is what we need, this clear guidance. But then when he refers to a man as she or a female to a he, then we're taking that step backwards that he was talking about. And I think what we really need here is clear and consistent teaching that yes, you know, we need a pastoral and loving response to these individuals, but it needs to be one that does not compromise speaking them the truth. And so using a person's preferred pronouns, whether it's Z or Zen or, or he or she or whatever, if that is not in alignment with your biological sex, you're not speaking the truth and lie. You're bearing false witness. And some people might be scandalized. Well, you know, you're calling out the Pope here. Well, I mean, we need to remember that, you know, Paul called out Peter. You know, I called him out to his face, it says it in the scripture, and confronted him because he was clearly wrong in this disciplinary matter, you know, in, in the church. And so in the same way, the Holy Father, the charism of infallibility does not mean that he's infallible in all of his pastoral approaches and everything that he says off the cuff in an Italian interview on some plane ride to Bolivia or whatever. You know, it, it does not guard him infallibility in every journalistic interview that he conducts. And so as the lay people in a spirit of obedience to the Holy Father, you know, the, the church and as good sons and daughters of the church, we're able to say, hey, this pastoral approach is not helping. 
love these individuals, meet with them, sure, embrace them, pray with them, spend time with them. But to go to the point where we're endorsing gender theory and calling males females, well, this is certainly, I don't think, helping the matter. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting thing because a lot of people suggest, even even some spiritual leaders suggest, well, you know, maybe we can just tell them what they want to hear for now and kind of that way bring them in. You know, yeah, you're you're using the, the pronouns that they want and yeah, you might call them married and accept them. It's kind of like a, a, a Father James Martin approach. Just bring them in and hopefully maybe, you know, it'll rub off and eventually they'll get to the fullness of truth. Can't we give them this sort of graduated approach whereby we make them comfortable? Uh, that, that type of accompaniment, does that work at all? Well, for one, we've got our okay, where do you start that and when would you even stop that? And what I mean is that the gender transition it has four major steps in it. The first is social transitioning, meaning you change your preferred pronouns, the restroom you use, uh, the way that you present yourself, the clothing, clothing you choose. And so it's an external you know, uh, transition. The next step for the young people would be puberty blockers, where you're giving pre-adolescent kids potent sex hormones that are blocking the development of puberty, thus in effect chemically castrating these kids. And then after that, it goes to cross-sex hormone therapy, where you're giving girls testosterone and boys estrogen to effeminize the males and masculinize the females. And then you follow that up with gender reassignment surgery. It's like, okay, at what point do we stop just saying, hey, you do your thing, you do your thing. Okay, okay, well, you've just neutered this individual. You've castrated this person. What are you going to go like, okay, I'm glad you changed your mind three years later, but not only will your children exist, your descendants for generations will never come to be because I just patted you along because you wanted to believe this thing. I think these individuals typically have a whole culture behind them saying, you do you. You be whatever you want to be. I embrace and I endorse that. How many people do they have in their lives? Not that we'll hate them and shame them, but we'll love them enough to speak the truth about what gender dysphoria is. I remember speaking at a, a high school up in Canada and the tea, the principal before the talk told me, she said, please do not during your presentation say anything about gender or homosexuality. And, and I said, well, well, why? And she said, well, I just walked into the bathroom the other day and there's some transgender boys slashing, slashing his wrist open bloody in the bathroom. And if these kids feel any more persecuted and hated, they're just going to jump off the bridge. And I said, ma'am, I fully understand the, the difficulties they're under. But I said, can I just share with you what I would say to the kids? And then you can tell me if you want me to say that or not. And I gave her the five-minute spiel. And she said, oh, please say that to the kids. And so we, they need someone in their lives, loving them enough to tell them the truth. I mean, a friend of mine was up there speaking in Canada. And after the talk, a, a teacher said, I just want to let you know, this is the chaplain, that you really offended one of our students in your school by what you said. And my friend said, well, what is it that I said? And they said, well, you, during your talk, you said that just because you practice chastity, it doesn't mean that you're asexual. And that really offended them because they identify as asexual. And my friend said, they, how many did I offend? And they said, oh, well, just one, but she identifies as they. And my friend said to the chaplain, now, you just go along with this? That you have a female who considers herself to be an asexual being using a plural pronoun, and you're just going along with this because you don't want to offend her? This is not love. It is false compassion. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And unfortunately, it's feeding into a, a mental disorder. Um, and uh, gosh, what a... The care for children, uh, the care for young people uh, is being abandoned left, right, and center by adults who want to uh, be politically correct. And unfortunately, there's this whole cultural push right now. It's very strong. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the program, people have lost jobs and, and are sanctioned at work and by their friends and colleagues uh, for standing up for the truth, even in charitable ways. Um, so we are, in fact, at a time already where there's a, there's this type of persecution, if you will, a social persecution for saying and doing the right things. How have you personally uh, dealt with such things? I'm sure you've you've had a lot of 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 um, antagonism your way for what you've said, especially on this issue. And have you found that with this particular issue, it's more severe than other issues that you address? This is the most volatile reactions um, from people. Now, I don't have individuals coming up at the talk after I speak and being angry at me about these things just because I, I do my best to speak with just compassion and love and respect and, and reminding these individuals that the church is your home and God loves you. God wants you. The church is your home. And, you know, I, I try to explain to these individuals you know, God's plan for their life and these things. And so I don't end up with a lot of arguments after these presentations. I think the challenge comes in when I'm coming to speak into a community and some people in the administration will be like, wait a minute, this guy teaches that there's only two genders. You know, this guy teaches marriage is what? You know, we can't tolerate this hate speech in our community. We need to block him from even coming. And so that happened just last month over in Ireland. Um, people heard that I was coming and speaking and they banned me from speaking at a university and uh, the hotel where I was going to speak at a Catholic conference that he is not allowed on the premises. We don't want all the negative press. Catholic schools backed out. And so it wasn't the kids saying we don't want this. It was the administrators saying, look, we are too afraid to take this lightning bolt. And so we're out of here. We have to be inclusive. So let's exclude these people that disagree with us. And so you know, it's unfortunate, but you know what? It, it's going to be persecuted. I mean, you know well the words that Sister Lucia said to Cardinal Kafara. you know, that at the end of the time, I mean, the decisive battle between the kingdom of Satan and Lord will be over marriage and the family. And so we need to not be surprised when those who defend marriage and the family are going to be attacked and oppressed in every way. But she added, don't be afraid because Our Lady has already crushed his head. And so in the midst of all of this, as, as crazy as it sometimes get, we need to realize, hey, we need to be bold because what's going on in the world right now is almost for the first time ever, the whole its institution is literally collaborating with mental illness instead of treating it. This is like someone coming to you with anorexia and saying, look, I am fat. And you look at them and like, man, you're, dude, you're 85 pounds. You need a feeding tube. And, they're, uh, but, and saying to them, no, you don't need that. You think you're fat? Sure, you're fat. Here's some diet pills. That's what's going on here, that people have a different form of body dysphoria, and we don't have anyone who loves them enough to help these individuals to find healing and wholeness. They're giving them the shortcut approach, and you're seeing it everywhere. I mean, unfortunately, uh, Dwayne Wade, who's an incredible basketball player, love watching that guy. You know, his child has come out identifying as trans. And now Dwayne and his wife have said, hey, you know, we're on board. If that's what he wants to be there, she wants to be, then we'll go along with that. And it's just sad because, you know, this man loves his child more than I ever could. But I think so many parents are just marinated in this culture of a false anthropology, thinking they're loving their children when they're actually leading them down a harmful path. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. These 
the stories of the this well Walt Heyer's whole effort is to get out the stories of those who regret this move this sort of transition so-called um and they're so powerful and they're so you see the damage that this causes the kind of um harm to the body but also to their psychology and their soul i mean it's, it's just absolutely devastating um you said you've you've talked to Walt um how can we make those testimonies more get them more out there because it's just so unbelievably sheltered people don't know at all even that this exists um, there's a whole movement even of, of ex-gays which is probably the most uh, persecuted movement around um, because they, they're not wanting to be heard by anybody um, you know have you have you been able to get those messages out there or are those generally rejected as well yeah, well, we do our best to try to promote them through social media, whether it's Walt's website, different videos that come out. Uh, our website, chastity.com, has blogs on it. We've got a couple blogs. One was called, I Wished I Had Been Born a Boy, and another one's called, I Wished I Had Been Born a Girl. And these are individuals who share their experiences with gender dysphoria that like, hey, I went through this time in life that lasted for many years where I thought I wish I was that. But in time, I was able to work through that. And now you've got a woman saying, look, I'm happy being fully a woman. Yeah, I, I changed the oil of my car. My husband does the cooking and cleaning around the house, but it's okay. You know what? I'm fully me. And unfortunately, nowadays when a kid experiences anything other than the traditional gender stereotypes, they're kind of funneled into this idea of, well, you're probably trans because that's an experience that you're feeling. And, and so I think we need to realize, hey, there's – Lots of room for different personality types in the world. And if you don't fit a stereotype perfectly, it doesn't make you less of a man. In fact, like men out there who might be watching this, like let's say you experience same-sex attractions. Someone probably made you believe at some point that you're less of a man because you experience those attractions or desires. But I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. You are not less of a man. I mean, I almost wish we could define manhood by how attracted we are to women, because then, man, I would be such a man because I think women are so pretty. But it doesn't work like that. Your manhood is not determined by your sexual attractions. Your manhood is determined by your willingness to conform yourself to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. And so you are not less of a man because you feel this inclination. You experience that attraction. Some people think, oh, well, if you're into theater and poetry and art and stuff, you're not that much of a man. The most masculine man I ever met was deeply into poetry and, and, and art and all that stuff and theater. And his name was St. John Paul II. And so we've got to realize sometimes gender stereotypes is the problem. Changing a gender is not only not only the answer, it's not even possible. Absolutely. So let's end off with this. In in the world, we're subjected to, everyone is subjected to sexual temptation. It's probably, it is the tool most used by Satan to get people out of a right relationship with God. Um, and is there a way we can look to men and women who have same-sex attractions and are valiantly fighting against those or uh, men who uh, or men or women who have these sort of uh, gender dysphoria or, or feelings of that nature and yet struggle against this. How can we look to them as examples for us, the, the, the rest of us who don't experience those things, but nonetheless are struggling against other sexual temptations as, uh, as, as models? Yeah, I think one thing we need to do is realize there's really in the church no such thing as us and them. You know, like those people who seem 
have same-sex attractions and us people who don't experience these attractions. It's like, look, our sexual attractions are not our identities. They're not. Like, if you're a book, your sexual attractions are on page 47. It's not the cover story. And so we're all in this together. We all have our different brokenness and troubles and struggles and crosses that God allows us to experience. And honestly, I look forward to the day in the Catholic Church where we have canonized saints who had experienced gender dysphoria and same-sex attractions. I mean, you know how many people are in heaven right now who experienced same-sex attractions in their life? We may even have canonized saints who experienced same-sex attractions. We haven't heard their stories perhaps yet, but I think the day is coming. And so I look forward to that day where we have individuals who experienced these attractions and chose to glorify God in and through their bodies. And you could find some of these individuals at websites like Eden, invitation.com. Eden Invitation is a great Catholic website by young people who experience homosexual attractions and choose to practice chastity and pin their identity, not in an LGBT paradigm, but to pin their identity as sons and daughters of God. And so if we take this God bless them, Father James Martin approach of like, hey, we're building bridges, you know, we love you, but we're not bringing them the gospel. I'm telling you that is not building a bridge. It is building a dock. A dock is 50% of a bridge that leaves the person walking into, into the depths and into water. We need to say, yes, we love you, but go and sin no more. You're called to chastity. It's going to be a demanding you know, virtue at times, but God can do wonderful things. The question is, do we trust him with our bodies? And this is a question he asks all of us every day in a hundred different ways. And if we can trust the heart of the Father with our bodies— whether it's a dysphoria, an attraction, desire, an addiction, a temptation, we all got them at different levels. Let's trust the Father with our bodies and he'll never be outdone in generosity. Amen. Amen. Jason Everett, great to be with you again on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. May God bless you. Thank you for having me on. God bless all of you and we'll see you next time. Hello, this is John Henry Weston. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. There you will find all the past episodes and much more. Thanks again for watching, and may God bless you.